welcome our church family. Right now, it's not just us, but we have Higher Vision Blythe out in Blythe, California. We have Higher Vision Santa Paula joining us over on the west side. We have people all over the country and around the world, places like Washington, Illinois, Arizona, Colorado, Hawaii, Nevada, Michigan, Stockton, Texas. Come on, let's put together our hands and welcome all of our church family. Isn't that cool? Wow, how awesome is that? I want you to stand to your feet. We're in a series called Hands Up. Let's practice together. Ready? Hands up. Yeah. You can put them back down. We learned last week that God wants us to be hands up in prayer and hands up in worship. And so I want us to read our theme verse. We have one more weekend that we're going to talk about this theme. It's found in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 17, verse 11. I want all of our campuses. Come on, let me hear you all the way out in Blythe. I want to hear you. We're going to read together right now. All of us, let's read. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But wherever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Whenever, not wherever. You guys know what it said. All right. You ready today? Can we do this? Let's go hands up in prayer. Back to our campuses, where you are. Santa Paula, come on, go hands up in prayer. Santa Blythe, wherever you are joining us in South Carolina, if you can, go hands up. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. And Lord, today we're believing that as our hands are lifted in prayer and in intercession, Lord, we're believing that victories are going to start to take place. Lord, when our hands are down in this story, when the hands were down, they began to lose the victory. Lord, we're not going to lose victory. We're going to see victory in our homes, in our children, in our city. Because, Lord, we're standing, we're interceding, we're intervening and believing for great and mighty things. So speak to us today. In Jesus' name. Say this with me. Say, God, speak to me. In your name I pray. And everybody shouted, amen. You may be seated. Wow. So if you missed the, the first weekend, let me give you a little context to this passage. Moses climbs to the top of the mountain. He takes the staff. He raises it in the air. And while it's in the air, the people that are fighting down in the valley, they win the victory. Here's what's set up. Children of Israel had left the land of Egypt. God had miraculously brought them out. And as they're on their way to the promised land, they have to go through pieces of property. It'd be like someone trying to get to maybe the park and they have to go through your property to get there. So they're on their way. And as they go through this area or region where there's a nomadic tribe by the name of the Amalekites, the Amalekites see these people called the people of Israel and they begin to attack them. And as they attack them, Moses speaks to his, his general or his lieutenant And he says, hey, you need to go and you need to fight. And as you fight, I'm going to climb up the mountain and I'm going to fight. And here's how I'm going to fight. I'm going to take the staff, the rod of God, and I'm going to hold it in the air. And we're going to see victory. And so they begin to fight. But as you know in the story that when their hands were down, they began to lose. But when they were hands up, victory came. And we learn the power of hands up in worship and hands up in prayer that it releases supernatural victory. And so you're going to find out next week in the middle of the story, his hands get tired and there's this whole encounter with a a rock and with Aaron and with her, some people that were with him. and, And finally he was able to keep his hands up and watch what happens because his hands up, we're hands up through the battle. Watch what happens. It says in Exodus chapter 17, verse 13. Guys, if you'll pull that up for me. It says that, As a result, from being hands up, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. After, what's the next word? Victory. 
After the what? Come on, I'm here believing for some victory. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder. So this experience, being hands up, God said, by the way, this is so important. Now, he didn't do this with every battle. He didn't do this with every circumstance. But for this one, he said, I want this to be forever remembered. So we need to know this. And here's what he says. Here's what needs to be remembered. The next verse says, Moses built the altar there and named it. Here's what you need to remember. Jehovah or Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. Now, at the end of the message, we're going to come back to this idea of the banner. And we're going to learn and remember. But this whole message, this whole story teaches us some things. And I want to give you the, the big um, bumper sticker for the weekend. So that when you drive away, when you walk away, that you'll remember what, what this is about. And we've learned you may need to be hands up in prayer, hands up in worship. This is the big idea this weekend. Write it down. We need to be hands up in warfare. We need to be hands up in warfare. Because here's the bottom line. In this story, in this historical event, they were in a war. And can I tell you, God is wanting us to know that you and I are in a war. We're in a battle. The Bible says in Ephesians, it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an enemy. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Whether you like it or not, whether you want to fight or not, you're in the middle of a spiritual battle. And the enemy wants to rob God's blessings in your life. He wants to stop you from getting to your promised land. So what I want to do is I want to teach us with four principles. I'm going to be more of a teacher today. I want to teach you four principles of how you and I can be hands up in warfare. You all with me? Say amen. amen. You all with me out in Santa Paula? Say amen. I hear you in faith right now. So here we go. Here's point number one. If you want to be hands up, if you want to fight the battle, if you want to bring the victory, the number, thing, number one thing you have to do is you have to learn to choose to fight. You have to choose to fight. At the beginning of this story, the Amalekites attack Israel, and look what Moses says to Joshua. Exodus chapter 17. Here's what he says. First word is what? Choose, choose some men and go fight. You got to fight. You're in a battle. You have to fight. Now, why did he say this? Why is this important? There's some um, context here that we could just read the story and not realize is there. And it will teach us something. And that's this. You see, Moses was telling the children of Israel this because they weren't fighters. They had left Egypt. They had been, remember, now they had been delivered from their bondage, and now they were free. They used to be servants. Now they're free. Here's the problem. They were free, but they didn't know how to fight. Why? Because they knew how to cook, and they knew how to hurt animals, and they knew how to build stuff, and they knew how to take care of stuff, because that's what they did in Egypt, but they didn't have the education. They didn't have the training. They didn't have the experience in knowing how to fight. So what Paul is, or I'm sorry, what Moses is saying is, listen, sometimes you can get free. Come on, the church, this is a beautiful picture. There's a lot of Christians who have been set free from the bondage of sin, and now they're followers of Jesus, but they don't know how to engage and fight the enemy. And so we've got to fight. When they went to the promised land, they weren't going to be given the promised land. They were going to have to fight for those promises. So you've been set free as a Christian, but now you've got to learn how to fight 
Go to war. Some of you say, well, Pastor, man, you're taking a lot from that Old Testament verse. Well, let's go to the New Testament in James chapter 4. Look what it says in James 4 verse 7. It says, submit to God and the devil will flee. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. There's a lot of Christians that say, well, I got saved, so now the devil's you know, going to be defeated. Yes, God defeated the enemy on the cross. But here's the reality. You don't just submit to God and experience freedom. You submit to God, and then you start to fight, and the devil will flee. Because listen, when you start doing what you can do, God will start doing what he can do. Come on, somebody say amen. So you got to choose to fight. Let me, let me explain it this way. In fact, the word resist there, it literally means to become hostile in opposition. You got to get hostile and oppose the enemy. You got to fight against the enemy because you're in a battle and whether you fight or not, he's fighting. You know, when I um, was 11 years old, my parents left Michigan. That's why I'm a Detroit Lions fan. And if you are, are paying attention to your phone and watching the game today with the San Diego Chargers, paying attention, do not tell me anything about the game afterwards. I'm recording it. All right. Don't spoil my Sunday afternoon. All right. I want to watch the game. But I became a Detroit fan. We moved to California. We moved to a place called Visalia. And I moved from Michigan. Let me just say, back in those days, that was almost uh, 39, well, was 39 years ago. I was 11 years old. I'm 50 now. And back in those days, Michigan was kind of behind the times when it came to style. And when I moved, I, I was not in style. I was this new kid who was wearing, come on, anybody remember tough skins? <laughs> come on, y'all remember tough skins? They were the Sears brand. And then um, you'd play and you'd go to school in them and they'd get holes in the knees so they would put patches in the knees of your tough skins. Anybody remember that? Come on, and back in those days, we didn't have like several set. Like now kids have five or seven pairs of jeans, right? Back then you had two pairs of jeans. You had your school jeans and you had your play jeans. You had your school clothes and your play clothes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And how many know that your play clothes were just school clothes that were too tight? They're like a year old. So you put them on, they'd be up your behind when you're trying to play. So I get to school and I'm not in style. I got funky hair. I'm a little guy. And um, when I'm there, there's a guy there and I named him Billy the Bully because he used to pick on me. He used to beat me up. He was a head taller than I was. He was at least 20 pounds bigger than me as a, you know, a sixth grader. And we'd, you know, I'd be walking down the hallway and he'd run up behind me and have my books in my hand and he'd hit the books and my books and everything, papers would fly all over the place and he'd laugh and he'd take off and he would pick on me. One day we were on the, the field playing bas basketball on the basketball court and he was guarding me. And so it just so happened, even though he was big, he wasn't as fast as me. And so I made a move and boom, went around him and scored and he got mad and he walks up to me and he grabs me by the shirt and he throws me backwards and I go flying back and the next thing I know without even realizing that I something rose up inside of me and I shout I'm like don't you ever do that again have you ever said something and then after you said it you realize what did I just say because <laughs> Billy the bully was a big boy and as I said it, everybody in, on the basketball court went, uh, and then after I realized what I said, I went, uh. and he walks up to me and he looks at me and he says, what did you say? And something inside of me realized that, listen, I'm in a battle. And if I'm in a battle, I'm going to have to engage the enemy. 
So you know what I did? I look at him and I said, don't you ever do that again. Actually, that's wrong. Let me say it like it really was. Don't you ever do that again. And he grabbed me by the chest and threw me back again. Finally, I'm like, am I going to run? Am I going to just let this guy, am I going to fight in this battle? Or am I just going to let the enemy beat up on me? So you know what? I doubled up my fist. And I closed my eyes. And I swung as hard as I could. And halfway through that swing, something connected. And I opened up. You know, let me talk to the kids in the room. This is not the way to handle issues. I'm just telling you my past. But God has put the past under the blood of Jesus. Come on, everybody. Amen. So I swing with all of my might and I connect. I open my eyes and as everyone is gasping, Billy the bully is on the ground. And you know what happened? He got up and I ran. And he caught me and I hit him and knocked him down again. And he got up and I ran faster. But here's the point of the story. He quit chasing me. And how many of us are in a battle and we're not, in fact, let me show you a picture of Billy. This is Billy right here. He's seven foot two. Not really. That's just someone sent me a picture. But that's how I felt when, when I was standing next to Billy, right? Right. There's Billy the bully right there. Don't you ever do that again. How many, how many of us, the enemy is coming at us, affecting our kids, affecting our finances, affecting our calling, and we run, we deflect we act like nothing's happening listen the children of israel they could have just tried to well let's sneak away or let's just try to get through there'll be some casualties some people are going to die but we'll get to the other side no what did what did moses say come on fight choose to engage the enemy you need to learn how to grab a hold of the freedom and the blessings that i have for you number one if you're going to be hands up in war you got to choose to fight y'all with me say amen come on santa paula say amen Second thing, if you're going to be in this battle, hands up, how do you do it? You got to obey orders. You got to obey your orders. Joshua obeyed the orders that was, I'm sorry, yeah, that were given to him by Moses. He could have chose not to obey. In fact, let me show you, we just read a verse, let's go back to it in James chapter 4. Notice in James chapter 4, it says, resist the devil and he will flee. But it starts with, submit therefore to God... Then resist, and you'll have the power to cause the enemy to flee. You know what's interesting about the word submit? It can be um, defined in the Greek to mean be willing to obey orders. How many know that when it comes to the military, that if a general comes to a captain and says, um, this is what we're going to do. I want you to grab your men, and I want you to go down into that valley, and I want you to engage the enemy. How many know that the right response, because of the chain of command, is that you look at your general and you're like, yes, sir, right? But how many know that, that it's not appropriate to go, yes, sir, but, but I had a couple ideas, Imagine what would have happened if Joshua would have said, okay, Moses says, okay, here's what you can do. Pick your men, head down into the valley, and engage the enemy. And what if, what if Joshua would have said, yes, sir, but, but I had a thought. Just, just hear me out. What I was thinking is instead of going down into the valley and fighting them there, what we'll do is we'll stay up in the mountains, and then they'll come up into the mountains, and we'll have the advantage because we'll be above them. So let's do it that way. How many know that that's insubordination? 
And isn't it interesting that in the story he obeyed orders? But yet, here's the reality is a lot of us want to fight the enemy, but we won't let God be our general. Because here's what we'll do is we'll say, I know, God, I'm in a struggle financially and I'm in, I, I've got debt and I'm struggling um, with all of these things um, in my finances. And, and, and so, yes, sir. I'll, but, but I had an idea. You know, I know you want me to tithe, but I was thinking instead of tithing, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep that 10%. And what, what about this? I'll give it on my debt for the next three or four years. And then when I'm out of da- debt, then I'll give to you first. So yes, sir, but, but I'm going to do it a little differently. And, oh, by the way, I know you want me to be generous and a good steward, but right now, you know, things are going. I've got people around. Things are happening. We're going to go do some fun stuff. We haven't been able to do it in a while. And do you realize that a lot of us, we're not defeating the enemy, not because we're not resisting, but because we say, yes, sir, and then we don't follow our orders. So if we're going to defeat the enemy, we got to choose to fight, and we got to choose to obey our orders, because here's the power, and it's simply this. The power to resist comes through your willingness to submit. Come on, y'all with me, say amen. Good preaching, Pastor Jared. All right, amen. Choose to fight. Obey your orders. Number three, you ready? If you're going to defeat the enemy, you've got to also know your enemy's strategy. You've got to know your enemy's strategy. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices or the devil's schemes. So we know how he fights. We know his strategies. Can I stop and tell you that all of us are going to face, the children of Israel face the Amalekites. Every one of you will face the Amalekites. I'm going to show you in just a minute. The point was is that you have to know your enemy's strategy. And if you look at the story and then you dive into kind of the history of the Amalekites and and how they did things, you'll begin to discover some, some techniques that the devil, that the enemy will use against you to try to rob you of what God has for you. Y'all with me? So I'm going to give you two strategies, excuse me, two strategies that the enemy will use from this passage that maybe we can put in our arsenal to know that the enemy might use on us. Here's the first thing that the enemy will do is he will go after the tired and the vulnerable. Now, some of you say, what, what do you mean? Where does that come from? Well, you know, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible actually gives us some description of how the battle went down and how the Amalekites came after the Israelites in this story where he raised his hands, right? Let's take a look at it. It's in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25. And here's what God says. Never forget. Here's what God's saying. Listen, you need to know this stuff. Don't forget it because the enemy will come back around and do it again. Never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were, what's the word? And, come on, we hear all the campuses, and what? When you were exhausted and you were weary, and then look what it goes on to say, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. In other words, the reality is, is that sometimes in life, 
You're going to face some challenges and you're going to get weary. Now, imagine the children of Israel have left Egypt and they've gone through the wilderness. Now they're trying to survive in the wilderness and they had just gone through a season. I don't have time to preach on this. I wish I did. But remember, they got out into the wilderness and there's no water. And so God gives them water. Moses strikes the rock. And so they kind of get through that difficulty. And now suddenly things start to settle down. In fact, they're in the Valley of Rephidim, which is the Valley of Rephidim, which means rest. And I mean, sometimes we'll go through some things. Then we finally get to that moment where we're like, okay, now. Now, finally, I can rest. Finally, things are getting back to normal. Finally, I can get my groove. And right then, the enemy hits. It's when they're tired and when they're vulnerable. In fact, what did he do? He went after the ones who were burned out, discouraged, and isolated. They had fallen behind. And now because they had fallen behind and become isolated because of their discouragement, they were prey for the attack of the enemy. Now, how does that relate to us? Well, I see it happen all the time in church, and I try to encourage people not to let the enemy use it, but I'll see people who get offended by something, or they go through a trial at home, or there's issues that take place, and the next thing you know, you know what they're doing? Instead of being encouraged by getting around God's people, being in a circle where somebody can pray for them and help them, and being in church where they can get a word to give them strength to keep moving on, suddenly they wake up on Sunday morning, and they're like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go this week. It's football season, and I've had a long week. Pretty soon, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to go there because, you know, I had that problem with that person, and I don't want to see them. And pretty soon, our discouragement, what do we do? We start isolating ourselves, and now we're not in church, or we're not in a circle, we're not around God's people, and then we wonder why the enemy picks us off and takes us out. Why? Because he knows a strategy, and that is, I'm going to look for those that are isolated, I'm going to look for those who've fallen behind, I'm going to look for those that are weary because they're prime candidates for me to take them out you got to know the enemy's strategy and you got to say i'm not going to walk in that. i'm not going to give him what does the bible say avoid right this the the appearances of evil avoid situations where you put yourself in a place where the enemy can take you out so you know when things start happening rather than pulling away start leaning in get in a circle know your enemy's strategy can i give you another st- strategy um that they used, the, the second strategy they used was this, and that is they went after the needy and the tempted. Some of you like, well, where does that come from? Well, in order to understand that, you have to go back to understanding the nature of what the Amalekites were, because the Amalekites were the descendants, get this, of a man by the name of Esau. Now, if you remember, God passed down his name through Abraham, and it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. You see, Isaac had two sons. One was named Jacob. One was named Esau. They were both fraternal twins. They were born. It just so happened that Esau was born just a few seconds before Jacob, which meant that we should be talking about Esau, not about Jacob. But unfortunately, Esau He gets taken out by the enemy. He loses his blessing, and here's why. I'll give you a story. Because he allowed his Amalekite nature, his sinful nature, what happened is is he was out hunting, and as he was was coming home, he was hungry. He was starving. He obviously hadn't caught anything or hadn't had a chance to to whip it up and make it, and he comes back into camp, and his brother Jacob is making some Jacob stew. Have you ever had Jacob stew? It's good. And he walks into camp, and he's like, what is that? I'm starving. And he comes up to his brother. He's like, bro, I want some of that stew. And Jacob's like, oh, of course you can have some. But of course, it's not free. 
Now, here's the point. He, see, he was so in need. There was such a need inside of him to be filled. Come on, how many of you have ever been so hungry you just needed a Krispy Kreme donut? <laughs> Come on, how many of you have ever been so hungry you just needed some Ben and Jerry's? Come on, and let's just take it further. Some of you have gone through some stuff in your marriage and you just needed some attention. Or, or, or you're, you're struggling with all the stuff that everybody was saying and all the emotional turmoil and just needed something to take the edge off. And the next thing you know, we're, we're tired and we have all of these needs. And if we're not careful, we can be like Esau. We can follow our human nature, our, our sinful nature. And what did he do? He said, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. What does it cost? He said, oh, here's what it costs. It costs you your birthright. If you give me your birthright, I'll give you some stew. And so here's the point. Because of the desire to fulfill and have this immediate gratification and temporary satisfaction to meet his need, he gave away God's promise for his future. You see, the enemy is always looking for somebody who's in the middle of a needy moment to tempt them. We all will be tempted, the Bible says. But the question is, is our, if we're not paying attention to the enemy's strategy, we'll buy in and go, yeah, 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 what, what? that's what he says. He goes, what good is my birthright when I'm starving right now? And how many people come up with all kinds of excuses and end up in a world of hurt because they didn't pay attention to the strategy of the enemy? And to immediately meet the need and experience some gratification, maybe for you that's some kind of substance. Maybe for you, that's porn. Maybe for that you, that's a relationship you shouldn't be in. Maybe it's for you, it's, we could go through the list. Maybe it's for you, is that uh, you're not gonna forgive somebody because of what they did to you. See, the Bible says we gotta be aware of his devices. Because how many know that God has called us to victory? So if we're gonna walk in victory, we have to choose to fight, we have to obey orders, and we have to know our enemy's strategy. Amen? Now, I want to give you the last point, and this is the last thing that we need to do if we're going to be hands up in warfare, and we're going to defeat the enemy and have victory, whether it's here or in Washington or West Virginia that's joining us today or our, our campus in Santa Paula or Blythe, wherever you are. Here's the last strategy that you need to be hands up in war. Ready? Use your weapons. You need to use your weapons. What I love, though, is in the story is that Moses, he obeyed orders. Because what he could have said is he could have argued and said, God, wait a minute. I'm going to go and fight like, like you want us to. But I'm going to go into the battle, down into the valley. I'm going to use this, this staff that you've given me. Because it's awesome, man. I used it and I, I touched the Red Sea and it parted. So, man, instead of standing on a mountain, what good is that going to do? I'm going to go down next to Joshua and we're going to fight back to back. And while he's fighting, I'm just going to go like this. And they're just going to fall out and die because there's power in this. But instead, he surrendered, and he used the weapon God had given him, God's way. He obeyed orders. Because, see, God knew that being on top of the mountain, he would have more impact than if he was down in the valley. So, the Bible says that you and I, let's go to 2 Corinthians, that we've been given weapons. We're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. That right there shows you that we need to know the devil's strategies because the devil will come at you with ways of thinking that are counter to God's plan and God's will for your life. 
And so part of the weapons of God is to change our way of thinking. Because how many know that if we change our thinking, we'll start changing our acting? So if the devil can get us convinced to believe certain things, that suddenly we'll start acting on the things that we believe. And I mean, if we start acting on the things that we believe, then we're going to experience the consequence of the actions that we do because of the things that we believe. So God says, I've given you weapons. So I'm going to give you four quick weapons that will help you. I know I've given you a lot today, but four quick weapons that you have in your arsenal to fight the enemy. Y'all with me? Come on, how many ready to do some fighting? Here's the first weapon. The first weapon God's given you, he's given you armor. You have armor. Now, armor is for defense. So if someone hits you, you have something to shield you, to protect you. And so he said, here's what I've given you. I've given you the whole armor of God so that you can fight and stand against the attacks of the enemy. He said, first of all, you have the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth around your core. In other words, the core of who you are should be girded with truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So now you live your life and your core, who you are, your beliefs around the fact of what Jesus has told you. The world will tell you certain things, but how many know that Jesus is the way? He knows he is the truth. So put on the belt of truth. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the shield Right, the, or the breastplate of righteousness, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. All of these things represent Jesus Christ. You need to be girded and protected in who you are as Christ Jesus. You need to walk in that knowledge and that truth. You need to be, it makes me think of when we were growing up, or the kids were growing up, we'd take them to school. Every morning we would pray this prayer. We'd say, okay guys, it's ready to put on the whole armor of God. You ready? Yeah. Okay, put on the belt of, and the kids would be like, truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And every morning, we literally, through our words and our prayers, we would put on God's armor. It's interesting to me. How would your day be different when you started getting hit with things when you got to the work and you got hit with things when you got those calls and those emails and those texts? If now suddenly, instead of those things hitting you, they were being filtered through your faith and your belief in the truth of who Jesus Christ is and who he made you to be. You have armor. Secondly, not only do you have armor, but you have a sword. He said, put on the shield of faith, and then he said, and the sword of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God has given you a sword. And he says, which is the Word of God, which again refers to Jesus because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the Word. But how many know that his Word is also demonstrated through the Bible? The problem is, is many of us have a sword, but we never pull it out of the sheath. And we never swing it. We never use it. Because a word isn't just meant to be read. A word is meant to be spoken. When was the last time you spoke God's word over your situation? Maybe you're struggling with fear. And you, you, you don't understand why you're afraid and what's going to happen and you're anxious and what's going to... And suddenly, instead of just hoping that things get better, instead of just walking under the pressure, instead of letting the enemy barrage you and attack you, you rise up, you grab the sword you, and you begin to swing and you say, you know what? I'll be anxious for nothing by, but everything in prayer with um, supplication before God. Let your requests be made known and the God of peace will keep his guard around my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. When was the last time you swung the sword. It's, it's interesting. When the Bible at the end in Revelation tells us how that the people of God had victory, here's what it says. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, which I believe represents the armor you're putting on Jesus, the blood of the lamb. So you didn't just have the defense, 
But he said, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the armor, and the word of their testimony. Speaking the promise of God. In fact, you know what's interesting? The word overcame. It says they overcame or they defeated. You know what that word means in the, Hebrew, in the Greek? It means to, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever watched UFC? We have any UFC fans in the house? Okay, wrestling. And how many know that when you see a fight, sometimes one person will get their competitor into a submission hold? And it might be like, the, to, like where they have their arm back and if they keep going, they'll break their arm or if they're choking them out. And what happens? They've got the enemy. They just keep doing it and they hold on. And the enemy's trying to get out, but eventually they wear and subdue them down to the point where they're like, tap out, I'm done, I can't do it. And the game over. That's what happens when you and I stand in the armor of God and we begin to, the enemy comes at us and says, you know, I, heard, I, I know you got, you got a bad report from the doctor and it says that you've only got so much to live or that this cancer's only got a 60% chance of being treated. And the next thing you know, instead of letting the enemy barrage you, you start standing up and say, wait a minute, devil, by his stripes, we are healed. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And suddenly we start proclaiming. And what happens? Every time you start speaking God's word and declaring God's promises and swinging the sword, you're wearing the devil down until one day he's going to tap out and say, I'm done. This is over. It's time for us to walk in victory because we're walking in our armor and we're swinging our sword. Somebody say amen. Here's the, the third one, and that's this intercession. We learned last week that, that we're called to be intercessors, that we're to pray and intercede. And the word intercede means to stand on the behalf of another, to fight for somebody, to stand for somebody. This morning, I talked to someone who early this morning, a friend of mine who um, went to get life insurance. And when they did, the, he just got rejected. And they said, well, we can't give you life insurance. There's something wrong. So he's now got to go to the doctor. And so he's been given basically some pretty bad news. And the enemy was messing with his mind. And you know what I did is I stood and I began to pray for him. And I said, listen, our church is going to pray for you. And on our team rally this morning, we held him up and we lifted that staff. And we began to pray on behalf of this person that God would bring healing and, and give the doctors wisdom and that they would see a transformation and that he would live and fulfill the purposes and plans of God. God is looking for some people who will fight in the spirit and stand and intercede for a city, for our kids, for our families. Come on, how many know sometimes we got to fight for what matters? to us intercede you know that's what happened when Joshua remember he walked around Jericho what was he doing he was interceding and saying this property this territory belongs to God in fact I just want to say this and I'm going to bring this to a close but the Lord spoke to me about interceding for Canyon Country I've been praying for Canyon Country but I also remembered the passage where God said to Caleb everywhere you take a step that territory belongs to the Lord and I had a prophetic word spoken over me that said, Pastor Jared, everywhere that you step, God has given you that land. And so we've made a decision. God spoke to my heart. And I am going to walk completely around on the top of the mountains the entire city of, of Canyon Country. And I'm going to invite people at different times that want to to come and join me if you want to in prayer. I'm going to prayer walk that whole side of the valley. Now, I'll drop down off the mountain onto a road um, on certain days for people that may not be able to hike up in higher places. But I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, that God has given us that land, but we're not going to expect it to come to us. We're going to go fight for it, and we're going to do it by walking in prayer and interceding and believing that with God, all things are possible. Come on, somebody say amen. 
over 30 miles of walking, but how many know that we'll walk by faith? Come on, somebody. That nothing is impossible with God. The last thing we need to do is not only use the weapon of intercession, but we need to use the, the weapon of the banner. We need to raise the banner. Raise the banner. It's interesting because God said, I want you to remember this, this victory that happened where Moses went up and lifted this staff and what his hands up and the banner raised that the victory was won. So here's what you need to remember, that the Lord, your God, is your banner. God is the banner. Now, the, the, the name banner in the Hebrew, I spent a lot of time looking at it. It has a few meanings. One is like a flag. Many of you have seen like when, when they would go to war in those days, they would raise a flag as they went into war, and it symbolized this is who we are. It also can, a banner or a flag can symbolize an identity of a team. Like, for instance, you know, teams will put up in their, their stadiums if they won a championship to show victory. Like, for instance, there's a team on the East Coast um, called the Patriots that have several banners, unfortunately, up in their stadium. And when people come and they see the banner, they identify and they celebrate the victory that has come because of the banner. The, the other definition is that it could be a rod, and the rod often would have a, a metal symbol at the top of it, and actually the word banner could actually mean glisten. So in the days of Moses, I can imagine when he raised the rod and the sun hit the metal, it would glisten, right? And so as I began to think about this idea of banner, the Lord began to speak to my heart, and here's what he showed me is that this is the way I think it went down. Moses, God wanted Moses up on top of the mountain with the rod to raise in the air rather than down in the valley to fight. And here's why. Because victory comes, and we need to remember this now, through raising the banner. You see, when they got down in the valley, imagine this. They're fighting. There are thousands of people in battle. They're in a valley. They don't know what's going on. They don't have a bird's eye view. They can't see if everyone on the battle is winning and defeating the enemy. All they can see are the three soldiers that they're fighting right now. So now imagine you're in the fight and you're hitting and you're striking and you're protecting and you're killing and you're, you're, you're battling, trying to survive in your little area and, and you don't know what's going on. And so then they look up and the Bible says that when they looked up to the hill and Moses' hand was down, they lost the battle. Here's why I think they lost the battle because they looked up and they're like, oh no, what's going on? I don't know what's happening. Is my friend who came into battle with me, is he dead? Did he get killed? Is, are we losing the battle and I just haven't seen it yet? We're going to be overtaken and I'm going to die too? Oh no, what's going on? And they get caught up because here's the reality. All we can see is the, the fight that we're in right now. Some of you, all you can see is the marriage challenges you're in. Some of you, all you can see is the financial challenge that you're walking through right now. But watch what happens when they looked up the hill and they saw that the banner was raised, and they saw that glistening off the end of that banner, suddenly they were reminded of something. Wait a minute. I'm not fighting alone. We're not fighting alone. What's in his hand? Oh, it's that rod, that staff. Remember the staff? That's the one that he used to strike the water, and the waters parted. That was the staff that called you know, frogs out of the Nile. That was the staff that delivered. There's power in that. Wait a minute. We're not fighting alone. God is fighting with us in this battle. Suddenly there's power and energy. Suddenly like it's like, whoa! I mean, you're like ready to go. Why? Because you remember that there's something with you. You're not in this battle alone. You might remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? Let me show you. There's a verse. 
This verse says, speaking of God, you have given a what? To those who fear you. You and I have been given a banner. Why do we need to be hands up? Let me show you. So, Robbie's getting all excited. We got a boxing coach over here. He's like, what's going on? Come on. I'm ready. So, so these, these boxing gloves, in case you're wondering, they're not mine. Although, hey, real men can wear pink. Come on. They're my daughters. She went and did some boxing with Robbie. And so these, this is a boxing glove. Now, let's say I decided to get in the ring, and I called my son Tanner into the ring. Tanner, why don't you come on up and step in the ring? He's trying to get a weapon. That's what he's trying to do. Now, how many know if I'm in the ring with Tanner, and we're, we're boxing, and we, you know, we're going to the end, he's going to be the champion, and he's wearing gloves, and I have gloves, but I just am holding those gloves like this, and start fighting, and like... How many know that this glove, even though I hit him, isn't going to do much? It's not going to hurt him. He's just going to annoy him. Right? And how many know I'm not going to do any damage to Tanner? In fact, he's going to take me down because I've got a punch, but I have no power behind it. But how many know that if I actually put my hand in the glove... Come on, give Tanner a big hand. He's been a good sport. If I put my hand in the glove, now I've put punch. I put power behind my punch. And see, a lot of Christians are fighting the battle. And there's no power because they haven't realized that they've been given a banner. If we would just learn to remember to lift the name of Jesus, that we have been given one who has not fought but has defeated already the enemy. He went to the gates of hell and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And now he said, oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's already defeated the enemy. And the reality is, is that you and I, if we'll be people as Christians, imagine in the middle of your fight, if you turned around and you saw somebody else standing there in the name of Jesus, suddenly there would be a fire and there would be a power and God, I believe, is waiting to put his hands in the glove of your situation so that he can deliver a knockout blow. But too many people are standing with their hands down. Oh, no, what's going to happen? Oh, no, look at the enemy. Oh, no, well, are we winning the fight? No, God's saying, rise up. Declare the name of Jesus. Get your hands in the air. Get your faith in the air. Lift up that name that is higher than any other name, the name of Jesus, that one day all earth will bow and confess Confess that he is Lord so that you can walk in the victory. You got to stand in your armor. You got to use the sword. You have to intercede. And you need to, when was the last time you declared the name of Jesus over your kids? When was the last time you declared the name of Jesus over your neighborhood? I'm getting ready to declare the name of Jesus over Canyon Country. What victories? It's time to fight. It's time to quit running. And it's time to stand up 
and raise the banner of the Lord. Because greater is he. You've all been given a banner. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I want you to close your eyes. I want to call our campus pastors to the front. They're going to do ministry.